Hey, Nikki. Hey, Selena. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> that was excitement. Um, so we're here for season two, Designing Women, episode three. Oh, also, hello, everyone else. <laughs> we just get so caught up with ourselves. We're so we selfish. Um, okay. So we've been doing the thing with the Proust questionnaire. If you'll, I don't know, refresh yourself, refresh your memory from the last time we met. <laughs> Um, so I got a couple questions for you. Okay. And uh, just real quick, again, Proust survey, guys. If for some reason you haven't tuned into the last ones, <laughs> it's it's just a dinner party game, and you ask questions, and it was popularized by Proust, you know, when he was still with us. God rest his soul. <laughs> I'm sorry I broke that to you in the last episode. <laughs> right. Um, and uh, so we're just uh, we're getting to know each other, getting to know ourselves, mm-hmm. and we hope that you're playing along from home. All right. And with that, number five, which living person do you most admire? Oh, my gosh. Which living person do I most admire? It's a toughie. It is really tough. I, yeah. I don't even know what I'm going to say, to be honest. I have three options. Okay. Well, let's hear them. I'm going to take one. So but I feel like helpful. this is very similar to the conversation we had around the person you'd most like to meet who's dead or alive. Right, except this person needs to be alive. Maybe I don't have a lot of range. I always admire the President of the United States. Okay. Um, well, I, <laughs> good point. Every single time. Let me clarify. Yes, I don't yes, admire yes. necessarily their politics. I don't necessarily admire their um, stance on things. They got there. Let me clarify. I admire how they got there, the amount of confidence it takes to put yourself out there over and over and over again and lean into things as if they're pure fact, even if you have no idea. And I think this applies not just to certain presidents who were, you know, had proclivities toward the false, but every president, they have to go out there with a level of like confidence and deliver a talking point. And it may not even be completely true and they have to do it. I also admire their like ability to maintain the schedule. Um, so, but my actual answer, I think honestly is Taylor Swift and that feels like a weird answer, but I've been I'm like, thinking, yes, explain yourself. I've been thinking about her a lot lately because I mean, she is, weird. she is in the process of re-releasing all of her, re-recording and re-releasing all of her old albums because someone took control of her musical catalog that she did not respect, admire, and did not think could do her library justice and felt actually like it was a little bit of a, um, vindictive reason that that person took control of her library and it just it just irked her that this person was going to make a ton of money off of her and it's her music it's her art and so what she did is she took it on herself to re-record all her old albums so now she owns them and she gets to go back and make production choices and like vocal choices she didn't get to make in the first place so that's sort of like thing one this like commitment to a thing and seeing it through and doing it because she feels like something really shady was done. Two, she's an amazing business person. Like the way that she has approached her career, the flip of all of this is that she started wealthy. Like her family is wealthy. So she started from a place of means. So she was obviously not self-made in really the main sort of way. So that I struggle with that balance a little bit. But on the flip of it, she's made gobs of money by making very strategic choices she does amazing things with her promotion on social media she um this last week last week or maybe two weeks ago released um a version of her of a song in her catalog her her own version ahead of schedule because it like blew up on tiktok 
and everybody was using it and she didn't want them using the old one because every time they use the old one, these people she doesn't like got credit for it and she didn't like that. So she just released it off schedule. It was unexpected for anyone, but she did it because she's plugged into what's happening online. She's plugged into what's happening in the zeitgeist and in social and in culture. And she did it. And I just think that's so admirable. Again, takes a ton of confidence to do that. All the people I admire have a lot of confidence. Mm. Kate Middleton also is on my list. Mm-hmm. They just got confidence. I think this has got to be the hardest question, like, of all time. I don't know. I just think maybe, like, a Jane Goodall or something mm. like that. You know, just somebody that, like, they just want to put good in the world. Mm. They just want to do good things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, they're not like really caught up in not there's look, there's nothing wrong with making money. And I totally believe that everybody like you should like, you know, you, you put something out into the world and there's value to that. Mm-hmm. And so like, I, I totally get that, but there, there's just something about the people who are out there, like making the things happen, standing up for like a group of people or animals or like whatever, anybody who's doing that and they're, you know, they're not as focused on money and they're not as focused on like fame necessarily. Um, I think about like anybody like Malala that's like putting herself in like real danger. Like those are the kinds of people that like, I have such a level of admiration for like, you know, I'm just not sure that I can just think of one person. Yeah. So I threw myself with my own question. I know that's a really tough question, especially to answer in the moment. And I think, I think it does say something. I, I have this like weird fascination with fame. Like I know it's everybody does. I Who know doesn't? it's toxic, and I know it's not good. But I am fascinated by that life. Like again, to go back to my answer, Taylor Swift owns like two two jets. Could you imagine? Could you imagine? And I'm just fascinated by that. I just want to talk to that person. I just want to, I want to walk in their shoes for a day just to know, just to know. And, but now I wish I had given your answer, if I'm being honest. And I think I just revealed something really bad about myself. I don't know. This is, <laughs> I don't think so at all. I am like also very um, preoccupied with, so like, you know, I listen to a podcast. They do different interviews. They have ones where they interview experts and, but they interview a lot of famous people. And I find myself being like, uh, I don't know who this expert is. Mm. So I'm just like, cool. Will Ferrell, what does he have to say? Yeah. And you just sort of are curious about people who we, um, reach kind of like this level of just like you're saying two jets. What do you do with that? Mm-hmm. Like this unfathomable status. And then like, sometimes I think it's really interesting just to hear like they're, I'm thinking of like, is it people who does the, they're just like us. Yeah, whatever. They're getting Celebrities, milk. They're just like us. They're buying milk today. You know, but it is kind of interesting when you do, like, you're like, we can't possibly have anything in common. And then you're like, oh, we have things. But for sure you do. In common. I think that's what I need to know. I will tell you someone too, also that I really admire, who is famous, but um, Jane Fonda. Oh, yeah. What a woman. Right. It's, again, like, oh, my gosh. Like, the confidence, the, like, drive. And I also have a real thing with success. Like, successful women. I just, I would love to meet every, like, hugely successful woman in the whole world. And I know there are ranges of what success is. I'm talking about, like, top of their game over and over and over again successful. Mm -hmm. I'd love to, I'd just love to sit down with that person and talk about it. 
Yeah. I just want to. Jane Fonda, we'd love to talk to you. Anytime. Um, if you've ever seen Jane Fonda in Five Acts or you have not seen Jane Fonda in Five Acts, it's a documentary. Oh my gosh. I laughed. I cried. I cried. I cried some more. I mean, when they made Nine to Five, mm-hmm. you'll like this. We got a Dolly connection. Mm-hmm. Um, they gave every dollar away. I feel like I knew that. I feel... Um, Definitely, hold on a second. Definitely for her exercise video, uh, they gave every dollar away. I think they gave probably a significant portion for nine to five was mm-hmm. all about helping women in the workplace. Yeah. Um, but, and there is so much pressure on women in the workplace. Mm-hmm. I just, I, I, I think some people really understand. I think others really don't. Um, and so just the the barriers that they were breaking down, I mean, I just... I just have so much love for her. So I, I think that is someone else that I really want to throw in that pile as well. Gosh darn it. Well, now I'm going to have to add Dolly because she also is a very philanthropic person and a massively successful person. Mm-hmm. And to put those two things together, one of my, like the saying I say all the time lately, because the world is so dark, it's so easy not to be an a-hole, especially for wealthy people, mm-hmm. for like a penny in their mind, they could change someone's entire life. Like occasionally you hear a story about Taylor Swift where she paid someone's student loans. To her, it was nothing. She owns two jets. So that was just, she didn't go shopping today. Sure. She paid off a person's entire student loans. Mm -hmm. And that is like on the far end of what I would expect from a celebrity. They could stop by a middle school and sign some autographs and change that entire school's lives. And I just don't understand why celebrities are as a-holy as they are. Because it's so easy not to be. Mm-hmm. Sorry. I jumped on a soapbox with your question. No, no. And I'm, I'm like, I'm going to throw one more in there. I'm just going to say, we didn't really talk a lot about men. Of course, you talked about presidents. Well, so know. those are all men. That's true. So check mark. Um, and I'm going to move on to our next question. Mm-hmm. We do have an episode to talk about. Um, you're liking this proof survey, though, I do. Although yeah. I, I'm not sure I feel good about myself in that last one. I <laughs> Carry on. I'm going to tell you. I'll Nikki. continue this introspection. What is your greatest extravagance? Ooh. I'm like, define extravagance. Yeah, what does that mean? (laughs) I'm not a particularly extravagant person. (laughs) Again, see aforementioned answer that I am not rich nor famous. Um, My greatest extravagance. All I can think of is that I get my hair done. And like, do or die, I get my hair done. Like... Uh, during COVID, as long as they were still wearing masks and I was still wearing masks, I got my hair done. Mm-hmm. I just do it. Mm-hmm. I do it all the time on a schedule. Self-care, man. That's important. But you know, that's my only self-care non-negotiable. Everything else, I'm like, oh God, I should get a massage like once a month. Why don't I do that? And then I don't because it's another thing to do. Mm-hmm. So my hair, I think it's just like my one. I've been on a schedule for years now and I just always do it. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't feel like the right answer. Yeah, I don't know. Well, I mean, I, there isn't a right and wrong answer. Yes, there is. Well, There's I think right we're sitting answer. in mine. Oh, uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. So we're in my closet uh, because we turn one of our bedrooms in our house into a closet. I was going to say, it's probably bigger than the bedroom I had for most of my childhood. <laughs> So that's my extravagance. <laughs> that's probably one of my bigger ones. And what we're doing right now, I think, is the other one. Mm-hmm. This podcast has been quite the extravagance. Because when I think of extravagance, I think of like, it's this 
I think you could define a. I'm like, you can probably define it one way, but like, I think that's why the question is worded the way it is, is because you can take it however you want. Mm-hmm. I think your mind goes to a money extravagance, mm-hmm. but it could be anything. Mm-hmm. And it's not necessarily like the, the, like, first of all, there are people who have lots more clothes than I do. I think it's more of like, and this has been over years and years and years. It's just more like where I've decided to center so much energy. Mm -hmm. And when I think about another place where I put a lot of energy, it's been in this podcast Mm -hmm. and it feels extravagant. Mm. Extras at the top. (laughs) It's actually my nickname. So I think that's mine. I think we need more extravagance in our life. Yeah, we're going to need to, I'm, I'm glad that you're getting your hair done, but we're going to have to put some more extravagance. I know. Got to work on that. So we got some things to think about people that we admire and how we can inject a little bit more extravagance into our lives. <laughs> What's everybody else thinking of? <laughs> Tell us, we want to hear about your extravagances. I know it's hard to move on from that. Cause I feel like there's so much I just learned about myself. <laughs> I like envy wealthy, rich people. And my one extravagance is getting my hair done sometimes. Well, let's just get you a private jet. <laughs> Come on, Taylor, you have two. Just oh, give us one. Seriously, man, this is what I'm saying. Like, can someone just come pay off my mortgage? And then it takes us to the conversation about the one percenters, and it just gets complicated. Well, let's go into something that's not complicated. <laughs> and yet it is somehow. <laughs> season three, episode three, season two. I was like, uh-oh. Um, Anthony Jr., the Hulu episode description is, Anthony's fabrication of a pedigree family to impress his girlfriend's parents is shattered when an uninvited dinner guest informs him that he is the father of her son. IMDb says, after Suzanne is in a car accident, she decides to become more charitable. However, her idea of charity is helping Anthony make himself look more well-off than he is to impress his girlfriend's wealthy parents. She lets him use her house, but no one is prepared for the shock when a woman comes to the house claiming that he's the father of her baby. That is a long description. It is, but you know, I like these two together because I think it actually covers most of the bases. The reason I was laughing at the beginning of IMDb is Suzanne in a car accident is almost an afterthought to this entire episode. Mm, I mean, it is kind of the catalyst. It's the catalyst, but then I just quickly forget what happened. Well, because Anthony is obviously the centerpiece of this episode. Yeah. And she's definitely the B plot. So that makes sense. So this one aired on September 28th, 1987. It was written by LBT. It was directed by David Trainer. Selena tells me this is the first <laughs> of 63 episodes that he directs. Well, in all fairness, IMDb is telling us. <laughs> so he also directed some of my favorites. Boy Meets World, Grace Under Fire, which I have not seen in years, but my mom used to love that show, and I watched it, and I really do like it. Mm-hmm, That's um, that 70s show, I watched that for a period of time. And The Ranch, which I feel like is supposed to be a problematic show, but I actually really like it. Uh, I haven't really watched it. The, one of the reasons I capture both that 70s show and The Ranch, the in, in addition to David Trainer, the other um, common denominator there is obviously Ashton Kutcher. Um, Kutcher. And like Danny I'm, Masterson. And Danny Masterson. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is he still on? Did he oh, get to finish no. up the ranch? No, he didn't. Mm. So There's a story there, people. Right. Go uh, look it up. Right. Go look it up yourself. Um, so David Trainer, um, I just thought it was interesting because a lot, mm, my, my very naive understanding of television shows, I want to be very clear about that because I never want to sound like an expert when I'm not. Um, 
but is that usually you have a lot of guest directors that come in. It's highly unusual to have the same director throughout. I mean, how many directors have we seen? Yeah. Like a ton already, right? Mm -hmm. And um, he, I think, directed every single episode of that 70s show. Oh, wow. And he directed every single episode of The Ranch. And the reason I just think that's interesting is because in the tie-in to Designing Women, it's you can kind of see that he's sort of starting that path of being like that involved in one show versus like directing lots of different shows. You left off that he also directed Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Oh, I'm sorry. And Hot in Cleveland. I'm sorry. Oh my gosh. He's done so much. He's done a lot. Yes. All right. So uh, we'll jump right into general reactions. Yeah. Yeah. To the episode. <laughs> my number one reaction to this entire episode of all the things we learned in this episode Okay. Did we finally get the explanation of Anthony's unfortunate incarceration? And we did. We did. Yeah, I th that's a good call. I think we absolutely have to talk about that first. So that is building up. We are a whole season of a show, three episodes in, of the handful of things we know about this character. Three of them involve his unfortunate incarceration. Right. Um, so what we find out is that his friends decided to rob a liquor store, but didn't tell Anthony. So he got caught holding the getaway car mm -hmm. and was arrested in connection to this crime. Right. But then um, he ended up getting released when the judge overturned his conviction. Right. Um, so that, you know, I don't, um, hmm. uh, we can, let's just go ahead and talk about it. Like, so for the, for our lady loves, what this means is like, they never knew. And we mm -hmm. know that because we never knew. Mm -hmm. um, and the whole the whole bit of it is um, that they really kind of get called on the carpet mm -hmm. because they never asked. And they just sort of judge the whole time. Quiet, very quietly, yes. but it is a constant undercurrent. And it's not just Suzanne who is, you know... No, she's just more overt. She's overt about it. But mm -hmm. Julia, this whole time, has been operating under this mode that, like, she's giving this poor kid a break. He did something unlawful. Right. I think I think, I think. think she says something along the lines of, I just assumed he did whatever they said he did. Mm -hmm. Which is this thing that, like, you sort of just go, like, whatever the authorities say. Right. And obviously, there's, like... You know, there's a racial undertone to all of that. So, And Julia had her own run-in with the law in season one, where mm -hmm. she was basically framed for something. She didn't really super have a clue about what was happening. Yes. And I think that's kind of what LBT is trying in her own way to show us. And But Julia did not get in any trouble. Right. 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 And Anthony did. Mm-hmm. And that's our justice system, guys. Yeah. So... Um, that's not all of our justice system, but that is something that is obviously has been on, I feel like, the country's mind of late. Mm -hmm. But it's been on a lot of minds before For a then. really, really, really long time. Right. Um, so r real quickly, too, I want to say that, so we learn other things about him while we're on this. Mm -hmm. He doesn't have, um, he doesn't know his mom. He mentions that in his background. I almost said he doesn't have a mother. Clearly he has one. I think he says like something along those lines. Oh, I missed that. Yeah. And he says he doesn't know who his father is and his siblings are scattered, scattered all over. This is all when he's like asking to basically adopt them kind of as his family. 
Oh. Um, you know, the designing women for mm-hmm. when his girlfriend and her, his girlfriend's wealthy family is supposed to come over for this, you know, whole setup. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, so all, just to show how opposition, how this is an opposition to everything else, mm-hmm. what he's told his girlfriend's parents, um, who are very well to do is that he's in sales and distribution at Sugar Bakers, mm-hmm. um, that he's studying to be a decorator, that his family's from Virginia, where they may, made most of their money in coal. Um, his parents are retired and living in Spain. Julia is his godmother and invited him to Atlanta to learn the business. And he's living in Suzanne's guest house, driving one of the servants' cars because his Mercedes is in the shop. So that's sort of what he's set up. And told his girlfriend's parents. So all of that feeds into the other big theme of the episode, which is this dichotomy of wealth and not wealth, basically. Wealth and class. How those things fit one another. And it's the third episode in a row. Yes, right. So we're three episodes in, and in every single one, we are looking at issues of wealth Mm -hmm. and not wealth. Interesting. Yeah, so there's such little overlap between people who don't have a lot of means and people who do. So much, so little overlap that people are inventing entire stories to make themselves seem palatable to the other half. Right. So Anthony's developed this entire backstory Mm -hmm. um, just to fit in with Savannah's family. Right. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Trying to figure out how to how to break this one down. So the story is that Savannah's father has has led Anthony to believe he doesn't think she's good enough for him. This is what kind of leads him to to develop this whole story. They're part and parcel to one another. Her father takes him into the library at the first dinner together and says basically like, I don't want you to get hurt um, physically. Right. By my bodyguard. Physically hurt. And so Anthony needs this man to believe that he's worthy of Savannah. We don't really know what order the lie came in. Though. That's true. That's true. Um, but Anthony needs, so this is why he he uh, drafts the designing women to help him because they they are of means and they do have some class, whether their business is struggling or not. Obviously, Julia and Suzanne sit in a certain stratosphere. Right. In Atlanta. Yes. So he thinks it'll be more palatable to invite these people to Julia's house than to admit what his situation is. I'm just going to say one thing because I do think it is central. To, it's actually, it's Suzanne's because he's staying. Sorry, there. yeah. I, I mean to imply someone. One yeah. of the two sugar bakers he's, he's invited. So he brings them to Suzanne's house mm-hmm. and tells this whole lie, which I think the father sees through pretty immediately. But the father has has hired someone to tail Anthony, which we find out later in the episode. It's something about that P.I. just really gives you so much perspective, <laughs> you know? So we find that out later in the episode. But because of what he found, he sets into motion a series of events such that this woman barges into this dinner party at Suzanne's house mm-hmm. and claims that Anthony is the father of her baby. Mm-hmm. And Anthony immediately says, I have no idea what you're talking about. But no one believes him. Right. No one believes him. They don't believe him at all. And I guess they're sort of just like, maybe you forgot. <laughs> or maybe you're lying. Right. Or maybe you really didn't know or whatever. But no one no one is on his side. 
And we don't really get a sense for what Savannah's thinking of all this. We don't get a lot of Savannah at all. She has just a couple lines. Right. Savannah being the girlfriend. Right. So we have no idea what Savannah thinks, but the rest of the dinner party is in like disarray, like what has just happened. And then it leads to this um, subsection of the episode where Anthony is becoming a father to this baby. Do you get the sense Anthony starts to believe maybe he's the dad? I think, I don't know. I don't, uh, for me, I think what it was, the only thing I knew to take away, because it's 22 minutes. Yeah. And we covered a lot of ground in this episode. Yeah. This is definitely one of those episodes where I just felt like we were bouncing around a lot. And um, the only thing I knew to glean from this was more like, and I'm putting some of this together now. Like, what did I just say about his background? He didn't know his mom and he didn't know his dad. And his siblings were scattered all over the place. There's probably not much more that's important to Anthony than home. Mm-hmm. Because he probably always wanted one that was like calm and whatever everybody considers is standard, quote unquote. And I think the whole idea of like, who cares if he didn't know her or not? That's a real baby. Right. And that's our, and she's a real human. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't going to set them out in the street, which mm-hmm. is basically where she said she was headed because right. um, that part wasn't a ruse. Mm-hmm. I think her parents probably re- were, I mean, her parents really weren't taking her back in mm-hmm. because of this baby. Right. Um, which is kind of sad that Savannah's father, I don't remember his name, but like that he was going to take advantage of that. Mm-hmm. So, but I think in his mind, he was helping, helping. support her. Absolutely. He I, was I giving think, her the means to her end. I totally think that he saw it that way as yeah. well. So to me, it just makes me love Anthony more. That's what I learned. Absolutely. So that, that was another big theme of this episode to me was I think we're learning a ton about Anthony in 20 some odd minutes. Yeah. Um, we finally learned this massive backstory that Huge. has followed him this whole first season and into the second. Yeah. We learn his familial backstory. Mm-hmm. Um, and we learn that he does seem to be family man and or all together. Just a really darn good person. I mean, honestly. Just the amount of like step up and take it on sort of thing that he does. And I think he also just loves, I mean, who doesn't love a baby? Even the terrible parts he seems to kind of really relish in, mm-hmm. which I thought was really sweet. It was sweet. And I think, too, I think you said this at the end of the last episode, but it feels worth repeating in this episode, <laughs> is that this is our first Anthony-centered episode. Mm-hmm. You want me to say episode again? Episode, episode, episode. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, but I say that because it's just a big deal. Mm-hmm. We have talked numerous times i want to say like 19 times Mm -hmm. saying anthony was the best part of this episode we only got to see him for five minutes that's Mm -hmm. a darn shame yeah so um just wanted to step back and say how cool it is is it that we're finally doing all the things that we haven't done up to this point yeah he is being solidified as a member of this cast Mm -hmm. with this episode i think and we just know that he's he's hanging around and that's exciting I think the last big thing for me to talk about um, is also the hardest part for me to talk about uh, because I'm not, I'm honestly not sure what to make of it, but it's the entire story of of how it comes out with Suzanne, with what Savannah's dad has -hmm. done to Anthony Mm -hmm. and how all those chips fall and how the story falls together. So as I mentioned earlier, it turns out he hired a PI to follow Anthony. So he knows all of Anthony's dark secrets, of which is the fact that Anthony doesn't really have any dark secrets. He was He's just poor. Yeah. So um, 
then, the, so the man's like, I don't, I don't really care that he was in jail. He didn't do anything wrong. It's the fact that he has no money and he has no future. What is he? He's just a delivery person. He's not good enough for my daughter. And that is what, that's what sent him to bring this woman to Anthony to claim that she's Anthony's, she's the mother of Anthony's baby and Anthony hasn't stepped up. Mm-hmm. And... I just don't know how to, to break apart all those pieces except focusing on the class wealth commentary. Mm-hmm. And it just bothered me so much as I'm watching this episode. I'm like, this man knows nothing about Anthony except that he fell on some really hard times, not of his own making, and deems him not good enough for his daughter. And it's it's kind of a big twist that you find out that that's actually not the thing that bothered him was that he was in jail. Mm-hmm. It's the fact that he's poor. Mm-hmm. And that's the the twist. And I'm not sure what to make of that part of my um, read of the episode. I, I'm not sure if if that's if that's what LBT intended. Mm-hmm. And then I'm not sure what that says about race, if anything, that to me, the big twist was that he's not worried about him being a convict. It's the fact that he's poor. I think so I think with in that particular framing, I think what it says is, in a certain way is like he's not surprised by Anthony being falsely accused for something. Right. Because that's an experience that he's very familiar with. Unlike a Julia. Right. Who has always seen something through like these rosy colored glasses because she doesn't get pulled over. Right. She doesn't have the, like no one looks at her and thinks, "Uh Oh, this is a threat. Right. So I think I see that side of it. I'm going to go ahead and skip down into what I didn't like because it feels relevant to this part of the conversation mm-hmm. about the episode. Are you okay with that? Sure. Okay. <laughs> going to get some consent. Was it Savannah's dad in general? Podcast he's on my list. consent. Uh, it's, some of this is playing like a country song for me. Mm. Um, uh, like I'm thinking of like an old Trisha Yearwood song. Um, the one where she's like, She's in love with the boy. Oh, uh-huh. Yeah, and the mom like looks at the dad and she's like, "You were exactly the same person." Right. Like I feel like we got that. Right. But in this episode, so isn't one of your least favorite traits in people the fact that they can't see themselves in themselves? I, it's it's very bothersome. <laughs> He's and I'm so, so glad, unaware. Yeah, I'm so glad that they had a the the woman around to remind him. Perfect. Uh, so this was this was my struggle is that I felt like. Um, the aim here in the show was to do a good thing. Mm-hmm. We'd spent a lot of time. Even you and I have had questions. Mm-hmm. I, let's, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. We said last season when that one episode happens and the role big blue and we were like, oh my gosh, is Anthony a criminal mastermind? Oh, uh-huh. We haven't known it this whole time yeah. because there's no reason that big blue roles tonight means right. anything but right. something criminal, right? Yeah. That can't mean dog grooming services. Mm. Um, and it turns out I think it was a dog grooming service. <laughs> you know, <laughs> It wasn't an underground poker <laughs> tournament. Anthony's um, just unconventional. Right. So trying to do a good thing with this episode. And I think we did do a good thing. We we showed that there's been a lot of probably unfair assumptions made about Anthony. Mm-hmm. For me, at the same time, um, we, we also wound up creating other problems. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like 
in the execution, we wound up introducing these other negative stereotypes, like an absent father or the mom who didn't know who her her child's father was or, Mm -hmm. you know, was having to track down her child's father and all Mm -hmm. these things that that just create these other, like, issues just to clear up one issue. Right. Then, I I don't know if you've noticed this or not, there's not a lot of African-American characters on this show, Mm -hmm. right? And the person who clears Anthony's name that who's Savannah's dad is also wound up being played as a little bit of a villain. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he, so like, I think they soften his character when the mom comes in and says, this is exactly who you are. And he like opens up to the idea of them dating or whatever. I think that's where we're left at the end. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, we don't know him. This is the first episode that we've met him. Yeah. And so it does feel a little villainous. To pay someone to come in and lie. It, pays, it feels a lot villainous. <laughs> yes, I am definitely underplaying that. It does. It feels a lot villainous. So I feel like trying to do a good things, some missteps to get there. I do wonder to that point, and I hear what you're saying. I wonder though if there is some value in it not being like a white savior complex. So of this entire time we've thought this thing about Anthony, isn't it kind of is is there value? I don't know. I won't say isn't it. Is there value in it not having been a white person being the hero here to reveal that information? You mean like a blind side? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, sure. Yeah. So I, I don't know. Again, to your point, like a mixed bag of good and bad. I loved, well, that's one of the things that's in my like category. I love the fact that he, that the dad's the one that pointed out the hypocrisy. Yeah. And he was like, also, you were all lying to me last night. Oh, By yeah, the way, right. so why you sit, while you're over there judging me mm. for hiring a PI, mm-hmm. you guys were all lying, mm-hmm. making stuff up, mm-hmm. and also you never even thought to ask this man what really happened. Yeah, you know, right? Um, and so I thought that um, that was really good because I always really like it, especially when Julia gets taken down a peg or two. Yeah, because she's kind of nice. She's uh, she sits on a pretty high horse. Yeah, I'm like, did that help? <laughs> I don't know if that helped or not, but we talked about it. I have a stray observation. I think we barreled right through them, and it feels kind of silly to bring it up now, but... I don't think so. Suzanne's house is different? Maybe. Yeah, because it's Monette's house. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's in my stray observations. So we learned in some trivia that uh, when we watched the episode with Monette, Monica, um, uh, Charlene's high school madam friend, mm-hmm. um, that that house was going to go on to eventually be Suzanne's house. I think this is the first time that we have seen the downstairs uh, as Suzanne's house and it be Monette's house. Oh, man. I think you just like beautiful mind me- minded me or something. I think I lost, <laughs> lost the thread. Did I square... Every square is a rectangle, but not every rectangle is a square. You did. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to rebuild. I won't make you do it again. I'm going to rebuild that narrative later in my head. Okay. Um, (laughs) But yes, you did notice something different because it was different. Perfect. That, that's the bottom line. That's what I needed to hear. Okay. What other stray observations did you have? Um, Suzanne is wearing a royal blue dress Mm -hmm. at the dinner. Mm -hmm. The first, like when they come over, it's beautiful. That's it. That was really lovely on her. She does look really nice in blue. Are her eyes blue? I think they are. Oh, probably. She seems very Liz Taylory. Seems like a blue eye. Yeah, blue eye. Um, and Mary Jo is a lightweight again. 
Yeah, but they cut out some of those lines. We'll talk about it later. But I, um, but yeah. You get enough of a flavor to see she's a little loopy. I missed it until oh. I read the cut lines. Did you really? Yeah, I don't oh. know how I did. Maybe I'm just thinking that's like part of her personality now. Oh, yeah. Uh, girl had three rum balls and she's laying on the floor. Oh, she's out of it. Get off the floor, Mary Jo. Anyways, she's 100 pounds. Um, I bet you she's not even 100 pounds, actually. So, other stray observations? That's it. That's all I got. All right. I have some about Suzanne. Okay. That car wreck that she gets in. Mm -hmm. She says once she's back in the house, she was pinned in her car for 15 minutes. (laughs) What... (sighs) What happened? I mean, she was like, what, five seconds from the door? Mm-hmm. I, I'm just saying, I, I didn't um, I didn't really uh, follow that one too well. So while we're there, actually, this probably yeah. should be a stray observation. Julia told Suzanne to go lie down upstairs after her wreck. She trying to off Suzanne? Oh, what like it's a concussion. concussion? She's like, you just go, go take a nap. Let your brain rest. Let me tell you a real quick sidebar. Okay. So I'm going to call out a couple of my friends right now. Uh-oh. As one does. At our 30th birthday, like my friend and Ashley, yeah, Ashley, my my best friend and I, we shared a 30th, a dirty 30 together. We can't have anything of our own. It all has to come together. (laughs) So, which is good for me because I don't really like that much attention. So we decide to have a slip and slide. I guarantee you the slip and slide was more for Ashley than for me. It was a big weekend. So there's a lot of drinking going on and the slip and slide ended in a game of flip cup. Hmm. Like all slip and slides do. Yeah. Two of my friends, including her, hit their head on the slip and slide. Oh, my. And then they're back inside. And I'm like, okay, all right, well, uh, I'm going to go take a shower. I come back from the shower. They're both napping. You left them alone after a concussion? There were 12 other people in the room. You you were the not drinker. And I ca- I was the not drinker. But I came back in the room after taking a shower. And I was like, hey. Where's where's Alyssa? Where's Ashley? And they were like, they're napping. And I was like, <laughs> resting off their head injuries. <laughs> napping. I was like, you guys have one job. I was like, why would you let people who are concussed potentially go take a nap? Uh, spoiler alert, they're alive. Good. So all is well. And I feel like this is a more you know moment. If you didn't glean, don't lay down after you have a concussion or yeah. potential concussion. Don't rest your brain. There's been so it's many lessons learned in this season so far. Don't take off people's pants. Mm-hmm. Without their without, without their knowledge. consent. Yeah, right. Without consent and knowledge. If you have consent and knowledge, if you take, have at it. You take their pants off. <laughs> and then also the gritted teeth was, really did it for aggressive. me. <laughs> and then um and then also like if you're slipping sliding down into flip cup and you hit your head, you just stay up now and watch an episode of Designing Women and come join us here. <laughs> And if you're in the non-drinker, stay up with them so that you can download our podcast for them when they're not able to figure it out. And that is Selena's sidebar. <laughs> um, impromptu. Um, I did have a couple of other stray observations. Okay. Uh, the story opens with Suzanne showing off her new and expensive purse. Uh-huh. $700. Mm-hmm. Today, that would be almost $1,700. Mm-hmm. I found it very rude to drop those price tags in front of people. I was very surprised by that. It feels very not Southern and like... Oh, 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 I see. You mean between the women, betwixt mm-hmm. the women. You don't talk about those things yeah. in public. That's a private thing. Well, it helps. In front of your sister, I don't I was going to say, it helps that Julia and Suzanne were largely having the discussion because they're sisters. Uh, but I hear what you're saying. Good point. I was. I had a question for you, but I think I know the answer. <laughs> Uh-oh. 
And I didn't even mean to loop this back to the Proust questionnaire. Oh, no. What's the most extravagant piece of clothing or accessory you've ever bought yourself? A pair of uh, seven for all mankind jeans. Oh. I spent um, probably $125 on them, I think. Okay. And uh, then proceeded to lose 20 pounds and they never fit me again. Oh. I've never bought jeans that expensive again. Oh. But hey, you lost 20 pounds. Lost 20 pounds? How could you lose 20 pounds? But that seems like an all-fair discussion. <laughs> it was before I got married. Um. Okay. So then I, I feel like I need to answer in kind mm-hmm. because... Yes. Well, now that you called me up. Right, right, right. So mine's way worse. Okay. All right. And I was super poor. And this is funny. So this is before you were married. So not because marriage brought you the money, but I'm just assuming you were... Not of me. As far, not as far along in your career. Okay. Sure. Huh? So I was like 20. I bought a dress for a wedding. I spent $400 on that dress. That's a lot of money. I know. That is a lot of money. I know. I wound up wearing it to multiple weddings. <laughs> I don't even know what I was thinking. I've never had less money. And I was like, I love this dress. I'm going to buy it. I'm going to do something for myself. You do weird things when you don't have money. That's the, that's the catch 22. When you don't have money, you tell yourself. I deserve this. I work hard, but actually you end up hurting yourself. Yeah. There's a whole financial theory behind that. Um, But now that you say that, I do feel like I have to amend my answer slightly, but I don't consider this an extravagance because I was getting married, but we've said married so many times that I should say I had a dress picked out at David's Bridal that I really liked that was under $1,000. I don't remember exactly what. Let's say $700. And um, I had it. It was fine. I was happy with it. It was fine. But just because you only get married once, allegedly, presumably, I wanted to go to an actual bridal shop, like a real deal Uh, bridal shop, and try some dresses on. Bridals by Lori. Uh, That's not where I went. But I wish I had. Uh, But I know I couldn't have afforded anything in there. Um, No, I went to one over off Rockbridge Road in Lilburn. Uh, It's been there a long time. And uh, tried on a dress and fell in love with it. And it was... About double the price of the one at David's Bridal. And my mom had to walk next door to Subway with me and have lunch because I said, I want this dress, but I don't want to spend this much. And she said, let's walk next door and take, catch a breath, take a deep breath, chill out, had lunch. <laughs> and long story short, I ended up buying that dress. And that was quite an indulgence. Oh, I thought the long story short was going to be that you had $5 footlongs for a long time. That may have ended up being... That would happened. have been like part of my plan. <laughs> like, all right, I'm going to have a $5 foot long. That'll make me for lunch, <laughs> for X amount of days. Um, uh, yeah, well, wedding dresses, yeah, we're not going to count weddings. Yeah, I, that doesn't feel like it counts. It's also difficult. And this is, comes back to this whole thing of like social strata, right? Because some people spend like 10 grand and higher on their yeah. dresses. Um, so it's just like, you can spend a lot of money, guys. That's what we're trying to say. And now I feel like I've been really, I'm like, it's really rude to talk about prices. Nikki, (laughs) tell me the most expensive thing you've ever bought. And I will tell you too. Uh, Where's Consuela? Oh, yeah, man. Where's she at? Where'd she go? She wasn't around for any of this, which felt weird. Maybe she's visiting her brother or something. But I just felt like that was worth uh, saying in our stray observations here. Um, I wanted to say that I just felt like my, this, I could put this in like three categories, but stray observation for me was, so Suzanne, the whole reason she even lets Anthony in her house to do this whole ruse Mm -hmm. is because that wreck, she makes a promise that she'll do good deeds if God will let her out of this 
horrible crash. Life or death she, situation right, she got was, into outside of Sugar Bakers. Right, this fender bender that she got into. <laughs> she like ran into a curb. Oh, if you get me out of here. Anyways, so um, I thought that it was really well played, um, the different things that she was doing, her good deeds. <laughs> She gives Mary Jo all her old furs yeah. for the children. For the children. <laughs> at school. Um, then she makes a soup that made people at a rescue mission <laughs> sick. And then Denise, um, the one that gets paid to say that she's Anthony's ex, um, he she calls her a less fortunate to her face and then <laughs> wants extra credit from God uh, for putting someone up. <laughs> and I just thought all that was well-branded. And what about at the end when she kind of tuckers herself out? So she just hands Anthony some money. She, the whole thing is just, <laughs> she's a, she's a, I'd have taken that money too, but for the record. Oh, absolutely. And, um, I have one more thing to see if you notice this. Okay. Do we know why Savannah's mom is in a wheelchair? No, but they alluded to the fact that she had been really sick. Okay. Anthony says that's why she's home from Dartmouth is okay. because her mom has been really sick lately. Okay, because I would say, that's right, that's right, okay. And maybe they just wanted to make it, like, overtly obvious or something. Yes, to, I think so. To put in that sick storyline, because I was like, well, we don't ever hear anything about this, and I don't think they were worried about that type of representation in 1987. Oh, and yeah. I was like, wow, that's really ahead Really of progressive. Time. Yeah, my goodness. Yeah. Um, okay, that's helpful. That was my only other 15th stray observation. <laughs> Well, I'm going to be honest with you, and our next two sections are what we liked and what we didn't like. We have covered every single one of mine in this discussion. Okay. I think we have almost all of mine. So, um, But which ones are we missing? Well, I will be, I'll, I'll be quick about it. Um, see if it brings the light, anything for you. So I actually did like a lot of the things that Suzanne, not a lot of the things that Suzanne said this, but I did think she was really funny. Mm -hmm. um, her tutelage about being rich. I thought oh, it was yeah. pretty hilarious. Yeah. The two things the rich love to talk about the most is being rich and finding good help. <laughs> so I thought that was pretty good. I love thinking about Anthony and Suzanne as um, Lucy and Ethel. Oh, yeah. And that's who Julia compares them to. Can I back you up just a second? Please. To Suzanne's point, though, the things people rich people like to talk about is being rich. That's why she brought up the $700 purse. Oh, She yeah. likes to talk about being rich. That's a good point. Mm -hmm. So uh, you ready to rate this sucker? I'm ready. What is your rating scale? $700 bags. Oh, that's good. Mm -hmm. I like that. What's yours? Uh, badly executed good deeds. Ooh. Which feels like that was the whole episode. Pretty much. Yeah. And what's your rating? Three. Me too. Oh, right. Is that right? Okay. Yeah. A three is just really sort of my middle of the road rating. Like if I don't hate an episode, but I also don't love it, mm -hmm. I'm just going to give it a three. And mm -hmm. that's really how I am. I thought it was sort of a bland story. It was a little... I just didn't really know what to make of a lot of it. Mm -hmm. And so that made it hard for me. But it was a sweet enough story. I really liked watching Anthony come out a little bit. This character, that this person that he is. And like, do, he wants to do the right thing. And as, as you said, like he wasn't seeing the woman or his reality. He was seeing the baby. And he just wanted the best for the baby. And then it also sort of, I think, gave him a preview of this life that I think he really kind of wants, which he would love to have his own baby. And maybe this is... This is the universe's way. This is God's way. Whatever he believes, maybe this is the way it enters my life. And I need to seize this moment and take it. Mm -hmm. And I just really liked that. It was a sweet enough story. I liked the resolution at the end that like he ends up having some level of relationship with this baby, even though it isn't what he thought it was going to be a couple days before, however many days before. So it was a solid three. 
I think that's fair. I Again, I mean, my rating scale is exactly, I think, what knocked off the two points for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but in, like, the not within the context of the show, but just within the context of the writing of the show. Right. Um, so I think that trying to do some good for Anthony, um, trying to bring him closer into the fold, mm-hmm. uh, make him more of an official character. I love all of that. Love Anthony. Couldn't agree more with the things that you were saying. I just think there were some missteps along the way. Yeah. Um, do we have to make other people... I don't know we made them bad, though. To be honest, I think what we learned in this is everybody's human. Yeah. Um, which we already knew, but it's always good to be reminded. It's a nice reminder. In case you forgot. Human, 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 human. Um, and, uh, I mean, that's pretty much it. So, okay combination of either 80 southern or unknown references for you little richard oh okay and i'm not sure that it's the the common i'm not sure why he's here except to say <laughs> the, we say we talk about the 80s and sometimes like we just did in i think the last episode with desi arnaz jr sure. if they're of a different time i have nowhere else to put them um so i put him there also he's southern he's from macon georgia i did not know that I, that's, I found that out when I was looking into him. That's amazing. Yeah. When did Little Richard come up in the episode? Do you remember? Um, when uh, Little Richard came into the episode when uh, it came out that Suzanne was donating her furs to the elementary school. That's right. And Mary Jo says, half the fourth grade looks like Little Richard. Okay. I feel like that was worth the look up because... That line made me laugh. I can't believe I didn't remember that. Yeah. Um, And I don't even know. I can barely even remember, like, what little Richard looks like. It's not like I, like, see him all the time. Oh, see, he's, for whatever reason, ingrained in my memory. Yeah. It's the um, throwing off of the um, fur cape. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Going to have to spend some time with little Richard. Um, 80s things. I did not have any combinations, is okay. what I should say. So the song he was singing when he walked in the door was Endless Love by yeah. Lionel Richie and Diana Ross. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had a Bill Cosby reference. Mm-hmm. Um, Lucy Ricardo and Ethel Mertz, you just mentioned, this was sort of the comparison of Suzanne and Anthony coming together to host this dinner party. Um, and having pictures taken at the J.C. Penny. I had that too, and I said, I think it would be more realistic if it had been Ola Mills. You would think that, but actually, I believe the one family picture we have, and I believe it was a Mother's Day gift to my mom, like a formal family picture, was taken at JCPenney. Oh, I totally, like, pictures were taken there. Yeah. But I think when I think, like, of 80s, I think of Ola Mills. Mm. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. Oh, maybe because, like, Ola Mills is at the bottom right. of, like, all the photos that are in, like, my grandparents' house and stuff. Yeah. That was all of your references? All of my 80s ones. 80s references. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I think the reason I'm getting confused is because a lot of your 80s ones are references I looked up or felt like we should talk about. Oh, okay. Um, so hopefully I won't um, mess this up too badly. One of the 80s things that stuck out for me was having to go in person to register for college classes. Oh. Mm-hmm. So, or just of a different era. Yeah. That was even probably slightly before us, honestly, in college, Mm -hmm. that they went in person and registered. Mm -hmm. That's wild. It is. Um, is, I'm very thankful for technology when it comes to stuff like that. Uh, Southern things? Andrew Young. This was um, mentioned because Suzanne bought her purse to take to a dinner party with Andrew Young, Mm -hmm. who is... um, 
I'm going to say this in present tense, and now I'm, he is still alive, right? He's still alive. Okay. Mm -hmm. So he, uh, Andrew Young, is an American politician, diplomat, and activist. He began his career as a pastor and was an early leader in the civil rights movement, serving as the executive director of the Southern Christian Leadership Conference. Um, he was a close confidant to Martin Luther King Jr. This is our second reference to him. Yep, that sounds right, mm -hmm. now that you say that. He was also mentioned in episode 14. Mm. I don't know if I could tell you what episode 14... That might be the Monette episode, actually. Um, but I just wrote episode 14 down so I wouldn't forget. He's sort of Atlanta and um, Southern royalty when you yeah. think of social circles. Right. So I have here the like, you know, because she usually hangs out with the swanky crowd. He was also the 55th mayor of Atlanta. I cannot remember his terms, but it may have been around this time, which is part of what I think put so. him in that stratosphere. I think in the last season she calls him mayor. Okay. Um, I think. And it was definitely around this time period. I also have the Tuxedo Road Racket Club, which plays into our extra sugar for this week. I didn't find any proof that a club by this specific name existed. I don't know if you looked into it. I looked up every single reference that they make. Like, here's all the rich people references oh, uh -huh. you need to make. I couldn't find any of them. So um, Tuxedo Road, which we'll get into in Extra Sugar, is a very exclusive neighborhood in Atlanta. Mm -hmm. And so it fits... It fits like the fact that it would be a racket club off Tuxedo Road, mm -hmm. which is why I latched onto this for Extra Sugar, because it is such an obscure Atlanta reference that as someone who's lived in Atlanta for a long time, it even took me a minute. I was like, did she just say Tuxedo Road? That's a real place, right? And I had to go Google it. It's a whole neighborhood. We're going to get into that in Extra Sugar. But that was one of my references I wanted to mention here. Mm -hmm. And then finally, Emory University, mm -hmm. uh, which is where... Um, Savannah was taking classes, or no, where Savannah was thinking about coming to college. She was taking classes at the community college with Anthony, but was thinking of transferring to Emory. It's a private university here in Atlanta. It is, incidentally, the second oldest private college in Georgia after Mercer University. Oh, okay. So that was my last Southern thing. Well, there you go. Um, yeah, I just wanted to say, too, that I feel like Tuxedo Road, that is real... I. I've lived here my entire life. I think that's just such maybe a thing that, like, if you live in that area, if you live there, you call it that, I feel like. Like, that kind of, because I think otherwise, I think that's just, like, over people's heads. In fact, the only reason I even know that at all is because my friends work at an orthodontic office, and it's in a, it's in Tuxedo Road some, mm. something, mm -hmm. Office Park or something. Mm -hmm. And I was like, eh. Oh, and it's like I know that area. Mm -hmm. It's it's a very it's a very well traveled area. Just never knew it called by that. So, um, I think you covered I, all my southern things. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I don't mean it. <laughs> How <laughs> dare you? I'm glad that you. No, I'm glad you took them up. Um, so references that you needed to look up or that you want us to talk about. Now that I, I don't have any. Not confusing my categories anymore. I don't have any. Okay, so. I looked up Symington Nurseries. This is oh. Savannah's parents, like, company or whatever, or business, not whatever. Anyways, it's not real. Um, I didn't look it up because it was his last name, and I just assumed it was, a like, a characterization. I don't think I caught on to the fact that it was oh, his last okay. name, so that was my bad. Um, I think this must be because of my husband, but I dropped off, uh, or I caught on to the Mercedes 450 SL, mm. uh, which is the car that Anthony references, mm -hmm. and... It was produced from 1973 to 1980, although I did find a 2020 version hmm. for $85,000. Oh, my. So, 
there you go. Like I said, I wasn't able to find any of those other, like the dry cleaning place, the catering place. I couldn't find any of those. I almost started to text my mom because she remembers things about like previous Atlanta. Mm. Um, all right. Well, cut lines. I just had two. Okay. And they're both about something very similar. Um, Suzanne shares a pageant anecdote. And the reason I think, the, the only reason I'm mentioning this is because the person she's talking about, so basically she tells this story of how she ended up assigned to a room with this very unpageant-like person who was Miss Mackinac City. And she helps feminize this woman. Mm -hmm. And then it comes up later in the episode where she has a chance to ask um, the woman with the baby if she's from Mackinac City. Mm -hmm. it, it, she is from Mackinac City. And does she know this pageant girl that she talked about right. the reason i'm bringing that up is i couldn't find mackinac city anywhere in georgia i found one in michigan oh you know what i think that name just sounded so something i didn't even think it was in georgia yeah it's um, not I, as far as i can tell um i found three cut lines there was also one with mary joe say like kind of underscoring what how much of a lightweight she is mm -hmm. and where she says <laughs> She says something like, um, you look very handsome, Antoine. Oh. <laughs> because she's so tipsy, she gets his name wrong. <laughs> and I think it's because they were like, I think Suzanne has just told her like, hey, you know, you've had enough. Yeah. And then she's like, I'm fine. Oh, An Antoine, you look great. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Mary Jo. Yep. Poor Mary Jo. So next up, episode four. Spoiler alert, it is a tearjerker. Mm. It's called Killing All the Right People. Um, it has proven to be very challenging for me to watch that one on repeat because uh, it is, it's a tough watch. It's, it's heavy. a tough watch. Mm -hmm. um, so, <laughs> in the worst transition ever, we'd love for you guys to follow us, uh, follow along with us on social media Instagram and Facebook at Sweet Tea and TV, email sweetteatvpod at gmail.com, and I almost said we're on the web and our website, www.sweetteedtv.com, where you can find um, a quick summary of our podcast episode and a couple of like extra things that we cover along the way. Um, I'll mention again in this episode that if you love us, show us by leaving us a rating <laughs> and review. <laughs> or cash. All right. <laughs> and hang tight for Extra Sugar, where we're going to talk about the history of Tuxedo Road right here in Atlanta. All right. Well, I guess we'll see you around the bend. Bye. Welcome to this week's edition of Extra Sugar. So this week, I did a double take when Suzanne mentioned Tuxedo Road. Um, she mentioned the Tuxedo Road Racket Club. And... That's such a blatant Atlanta reference. I think we just talked about this in the episode. It, like, even people who've lived in Atlanta their whole life maybe don't get it, but it is really Atlanta. Like me. Right? <laughs> yeah, that's, I think that's what makes it so impressive. I've never lived anywhere close to in-town Atlanta, ever. Like, the closest I've ever lived is 20 minutes outside of Atlanta, and even I got the reference. It took me a second, because it's an obscure one. Um, what does that say about me and you? I have lived inside the perimeter. I didn't know. You haven't lived out inside the perimeter, and you do know. I think your Proust questionnaire is coming full circle. Oh. Because you noticed that my person I would like to meet is someone of significant financial means and a lot of success, 
And you're about to learn a lot about Tuxedo Road that is relevant to that. Lay it on me. So I don't think it's a total surprise I know of it. So for those who aren't familiar with Atlanta, like any major city, Atlanta is split up into neighborhoods. The major ones we talk about in Atlanta are downtown, midtown, and a place called Buckhead. Um, there are dozens more, all with different personalities and different offerings. We're going to talk today about Buckhead. Wikipedia describes it as the uptown commercial and residential district of the city of Atlanta, comprising approximately the northernmost fifth of the city. Buckhead is the third largest business district within the Atlanta city limits behind downtown and midtown, and it's a major commercial and financial center of the southeast. So if you've ever listened to any, like basically any rap song from the early 2000s, you've probably heard of Buckhead. Mm -hmm. Welcome to Atlanta by Jermaine Dupri. Mm -hmm. Name drops Buckhead pretty hard. Buckhead is a very wealthy neck of the woods. So Wikipedia, um, that same Wikipedia article I just mentioned, cites several analyses placing the Buckhead city, uh, Buckhead zip code in the top wealthiest zip codes in the nation. One group reported the average household income of $280,631, which is a lot lower than I would have expected. But it's to be average. Honest. But that's the average. That's true. The average net household worth is over $1.3 million. Wow. Someone somewhere promotes it as the Beverly Hills of the East. Someone somewhere. Hot take from someone from Atlanta. I've never called it that. Right. <laughs> but it is very wealthy. Mm-hmm. Um, anywho, I said I was talking about Tuxedo Road. So why I've gone on and on about Buckhead is because Tuxedo Road sits in Buckhead. Mm-hmm. Tuxedo Park is the neighborhood, and it's in Buckhead. Buckhead.com calls Tuxedo Park, quotes the undisputed top-shelf neighborhood in Buckhead, with a 100 years of the finest architecture on full display along the tree-lined streets, the estates here truly deserve their reputation. Mm. That's high praise, no? Mm-hmm. So the backstory of Tuxedo Park is fascinating to me. I am forever fascinated by these stories of um, people in the late 1800s, early 1900s, who had the foresight to like buy a big piece of property or the luck, honestly, is what it sometimes ends up being. And then it turns into something. And this is in that vein. So in the 1800s, Tuxedo Park and really Buckhead generally was considered rural. Is that a wild thought to you? It is seven miles from downtown Atlanta. Yeah. I mean, well, yeah. And that those would have been considered like the country homes of wealthy people. Oh, I see. Well, you said a hundred years ago? Uh, yeah. Because I'm thinking like, well, seven miles might be a long way. Right. Buggy. Certainly right. when you right. don't have vehicles. But it's it's just a weird concept to me, not having ever lived in that life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so the original plot of land for Buckhead was, per- or for uh, Tuxedo Park, I mean, was purchased by a man named Charles H. Black Sr., for less than $100,000. He apparently was a businessman who had gone down to Florida and lost um, a fair amount of money in whatever business dealings he had. So he came back to Atlanta and found this property and decided to buy it. Um, Now, that's a weird turn of events. You lose a lot lot of money money. and then come buy more. Right. So I'm going to go buy a bunch of land. So really... You know the old story. (laughs) I think it just speaks to like how much money some people have. That they can afford to lose a lot of it and still invest. Love it. So really random aside, in like a similar vein of like just how charmed some people's lives are. Mm-hmm. Um, in researching this, I found an article that attributes the UGA, the University of Georgia mascot, UGA, mm-hmm. um, the original one, to a UGA student in the late 1800s with this exact same name, Charles H. Black. 
Oh. Um, I, I had trouble confirming if they're the same person, but they had all the same names. And that's a lot of names. Charles yeah. H. Black. Yeah. Isn't that weird? That is weird. Like Georgia royalty. Yeah, could be. I just felt like I needed to mention that. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, Charles then became a builder and built a Tudor home to show potential clients what he could do. That home is 225 Valley Road at the corner of Tuxedo Road. I looked it up on Google Street View, and it looks like it's kind of a long street line driveway, so I didn't see the house. I can't confirm oh, what it looks like, but man. it is still there, apparently. I love a tutor. Over time, he built the neighborhood up. So I found this really charming article on Buckhead.com where I got some of these facts. It includes a link to a documentary about the area. The documentary was like narrated, maybe crea- or, uh, created, I think, by his granddaughter, chronicling the history of the area. It definitely wasn't narrated by her because the narrator had a very, like, classic Atlanta Southern drawl. Like Charleston. Like Charleston, like mm-hmm. very wealthy Atlanta. Mm. So I'll put the link in the show notes. Um, but this woman talks about her childhood on t- in Tuxedo Park and okay. in this part. This was her grandfather, remember? So she remembers growing up there in, I'll say, thirties and 40, the 30s and 40s maybe. Bobby Jones, the legendary golfer, was her neighbor. Oh. And she talked about taking horses and carriage rides into Buckhead proper, like down the streets wow. of Buckhead. Yeah. Um, so Tuxedo Park has been home to some major Atlanta names over the years. Um, today, it's actually the site of the governor's mansion. Oh, okay. I'll drop a link to that in the show notes. And I've been there, incidentally. To the governor's mansion. Mm-hmm. We've talked about that before, yeah? Probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's beautiful. It's also been the home to Robert Woodruff, who is a former chairman of Coca-Cola. And as I just mentioned, Bobby Jones, the golfer. And also the Woodruff Foundation, right? So like everything that has to do with like the High Museum, the Atlanta Symphony, like, so like all of that stuff has to do with Woodruff. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. I see what you're saying. The Art Center. Right. And all that. Mm -hmm. So Tuxedo Park is listed on the National Register of Historic Places, thanks to its vast offering of historic homes. So today, homes in Tuxedo Park range from a million to over 20 million. So, you know, affordable. Did you look up any of the $20 million offerings? What does one get for $20 million? I, I looked at um, the next person I was going to mention, who is um, Arthur Blank, who yep. is the Falcons and Atlanta United owner mm-hmm. and one of the founders of the Home Depot. He had a home there, and I looked it up. So Casey and, and my friend Alyssa have both been there. To that house? Yeah, because they were um, dropping off cars. I wonder if it's the same one because this one's been sold within the last several years. Oh, it may not be then. So I, I looked that one up. Uh, and it, it, it'll say $20 million will buy you a lot of money. A lot of really nice house. Yeah, yeah. The, one of the things about all of these houses kind of in that neck of Atlanta is they're on like estate lots. So they're on – the originals were on like 20 acres of land. Right. But these are on like – four and five acres of land which inside the city is a lot of land which is like i mean that is awesome it's awesome to like if if i'm going to pay 20 million dollars for a house i don't want to be able to toss my neighbor toilet paper through the window you know what i'm saying oh you need some here you go buddy you know i want some space so you would be happy in tuxedo park i do hear myself also just to be clear (laughs) kenny rogers owned a home there Oh. And I read something somewhere that seemed to indicate Justin Bieber was considering a house there. Hmm. So. That makes sense because isn't his like whatever, like the guy who 
um, what? Just say Scooter Braun. Yeah, he's from Atlanta. Yeah. The name, the man who must not be named in the Taylor Swift drama. Well, I did. I didn't name him because I couldn't remember his name. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, um, Justin Bieber has Atlanta roots. Mm-hmm. Um, so in fact, many celebs have looked at this area um, to put down roots, even temporarily. Um, particularly as they've come to Atlanta to film projects. Mm -hmm. So um, Georgia has, and I don't know how many people outside of Georgia know this. This is like a huge claim to fame to those of us who live in Georgia. Mm -hmm. But in the last few years, Georgia has become the backdrop to all kinds of major movies and TV shows because the state started offering massive incentives to the film industry and to production companies. So I found a filmography database, which I can link in the show notes, where you can search movies, TV shows, and documentaries produced in Georgia. And it includes over 2,000. We could have a whole segment on Tyler Perry, who is um, a massive investor into the city of Atlanta and has Georgia roots. Um, He has a whole Tyler Perry production studio south of Atlanta, just north of the airport. Um, and he's filmed dozens of TV specials, movies, et cetera, in Atlanta. So Tyler Perry's been here for a long time. Um, but we've also had Marvel movies filmed here. In fact, that same database I just mentioned, um, or on that same website, it sounds like Black Panther 2 is currently in production in Georgia and in Atlanta. Mm -hmm. Uh, the TV show Ozark, The Walking Dead, and this upcoming Dear Evan Hansen film adaptation is uh, filmed or produced or something in Georgia. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my favorite Atlanta sightings, I don't know if you've ever noticed Atlanta when you're watching a movie, um, but oh, yeah. the new uh, National Lampoon's Vacation movie. Okay. The one with Andy from The Office? Yes. I don't know why I'm blanking on his name right now. I felt bad. I can't remember his yeah. name right now either. I was on the spot. Um, they go to Wally World. Yeah. It's actually Six Flags. And the oh. second it popped up on the screen, I knew it because I spent my entire childhood there. Oh, that's funny. I, I didn't. I, I should say I get excited when I recognize it. I should also say that I'm not always very good at recognizing it. So d- have you ever noticed it? Uh, yes. Well, not necessarily Atlanta proper. Um, but, uh, I mean, there's a couple of places that, um, like, so Stranger Things, um, there was some places around Stockbridge where I grew up that are in the background. So the high school that they're in is uh, an actual school down in Stockbridge, and I've been there before. That's a really good point. They also filmed in Gwinnett Place Mall, which mm-hmm. is the mall of my childhood, which has never been updated since it was built in the 80s. Right. Making it, looked- it the perfect, <laughs> the perfect locale. Backdrop. Right. Um, the, uh, actually, the biggest one for me, the one that broke my heart. <laughs> So when all of this, I used to live in downtown Atlanta and, um, for years and like (laughs) all of this movie production stuff started like right as I moved to the suburbs. Mm -hmm. And like, I do remember there's a movie with uh, Jason Bateman and Ryan Reynolds where they switch places. Okay. Okay. That was filmed in downtown Atlanta. Okay. And that was like right before I moved away. Oh. But then... I want to say, I mean, it must have been like six or seven years. Whenever they did Anchorman 2, there is a scene where they are literally on top. Some of the most famous people in all of Hollywood, people that I look up to and admire. They did one of those gigantic, ridiculous fight scenes in Anchorman 2. Some of the most famous people on the planet 
are standing on top of the muses on the roof deck, which is where I, the muses is the lofts I used to live in. And they were there and they were in Woodruff Park, which was right across the street from those lofts. I used to hang out on that roof every night for like Aww. four years. And it broke my heart because I was like, why didn't any of that cool stuff happen when I lived there? It wouldn't have mattered because they wouldn't have let you on the roof with them. That's true, but I could have at least like been like, yeah, I was there the night they filmed. Incidentally, there are also a lot of whatever the WB is now, that TV channel, whatever it's C called now, CW. CW? Mm -hmm. There are also a weird number of those types of shows that have filmed in and around Atlanta. Vampire Diaries and all that Right jazz. up here in downtown Lawrenceville. We were out for dinner one night and there was a film crew that had everything blocked off because they were using the downtown Lawrenceville Square to film. And it might have been Vampire Diaries. Could have been. It was around Halloween. There were like some zombies involved i don't remember all the specifics but everywhere you go in atlanta now they're filming do you think that just feels like only hmm, does the outside world not realize because i feel like that is such a well-known thing that so much of hollywood has come to atlanta but maybe we just notice that so much just because we live here I'm hoping that's the case because I'm doing this whole segment to tell other people about it. But I actually, I actually think that's true. I don't think people spend a lot of time thinking about where movies and TV shows are made oh, right. unless that's they happen me. upon the filming crew. All right, right, that's me. Okay. But it all comes full circle because I've gone off on like a tangent about Georgia entertainment and things that are filmed here. Um, but, but because of that, we've had a lot of entertainers staying in Atlanta, like sure. A-list sort of people. Um, and some of them actually are choosing to stay in Tuxedo Park. Mm -hmm. For instance, I found in Atlanta Magazine um, that Vince Vaughn and Robert Downey Jr. have both leased the same estate in Tuxedo Park. And Downey Jr. was allowed to land his helicopter at nearby school soccer fields in exchange for delivering the school's commencement address. Huh. Isn't that crazy? There you go. So all that to say, this was an amazingly on-brand on Atlanta reference for a show that was neither filmed in Atlanta nor created by Native Atlantans. Mm -hmm. To have picked such a prestigious part of Atlanta and to have made the reference that this was like the country club, the racket club that he needed to say he was part of to get cachet with this family. Yeah, that's interesting. I just It was so Atlanta. It felt like worth digging into for us. Yeah, that's. Uh, thank you for bringing this here so that we can discuss it I, you're welcome i do have one more thing that i want to add which i feel like um the other thing that i missed out on is um and i did not miss waiting tables but that is how partially how i paved my way through school and it's partially how i misspent some years of my youth um and uh because it wasn't for me um <laughs> just not very happy doing it but um after i stopped waiting tables in downtown and moved to the suburbs my friends wind up landing these jobs at places where they're waiting on colin firth mm. and uh my friend told me she was like <laughs> he ordered a drink and she was so mesmerized by how beautiful he was in real life that um he asked for something completely different she just makes like a gin and tonic and he's like that'll be wonderful thank you oh, <laughs> you geez. know because he's all british and polite <laughs> Um, and then like, so they used to do all kinds of rap parties. So they've met like Paul Rudd and, um, what's his face that plays, um, uh, Darth Vader's grandson or whatever. Oh, I don't know his name. Yeah. Adam Driver. Thank you. Look, yes, we do. I Look do at our him. powers combined. <laughs> um, met him in real life and she's now is like, he's the most beautiful person that ever lived. And like, you see these people in real life and it's like, whatever. But anyway, so me just being so like, <sighs> Why couldn't any of this happen when I was working in downtown? So there you go. 
the other side of the world will never be privy to. At any rate, that has been this week's Extra Sugar.